Welcome to Off Screen. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Zara Phelan. And you're not Bex. What are you doing here, Zara? You, you, you've changed. Yes, well, they thought you needed a bit of new blood. <laughs> well, she's on holiday for the week. In fact, she's on holiday for two weeks. So you know, this is going to be uh, this is going to be an interesting, interesting dynamic because it's been so long since we had anyone else on the show. So it's, it's. Uh, I'm glad it's you, Sarah. I am. But uh, I'm, I'm very sorry though that uh, you know we're going to talk about the first film that we are this week because we've got to cover the the new releases. Now, first one is a theatrical release, and uh, you know the Darwin Awards. You know they have the, the Darwin Awards every year, which are like reserved for people who died particularly stupid deaths. Have you seen these? <laughs> yes, I have. Yeah. Right. I actually think they should open up a special category this year, a special award in the Darwin Awards this year for people who died of the coronavirus that they caught in a cinema, specifically going out to see New Mutants, which, of course, opens today on uh, on Friday the 4th of September. I keep saying August. I'm terrible. Months don't mean anything in COVID land, do they? Um, it's September the 4th. Uh, this is the long, 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 long awaited um, finale. <laughs> to the X-Men franchise. This is the movie that was, I think, due for reshoots when Disney bought Fox. And then we had all the palaver. That that merger went on for about a year. The reshoots never happened. I think the reshoots were intended to capitalize on the success of It, which at the time this was completed, the first time was still relatively new. So this, this was a while ago. This was like 2017. It is loosely based on the, uh, the X-Men comics from the 80s of the name. It follows a group of teenage X-Men characters who, in this case, are relegated to an asylum basically to be treated for their recently emerged mutant abilities. They are, in fact, as the title cleverly suggests, new mutants. So, yeah, they, they put a lot of thought into that one. Um, anyway, they're in the asylum. All's not quite what it seems to be. It's kind of like a PG-13 style horror movie kind of a setup. Looks a lot like TV's Legion, if you ever saw that with Dan Stevens, which was also, funnily enough, an X-Men spin-off. And uh, before long, malevolent forces are out to get them. Here's the clip. Take Danny to a safe place, and I'll take care of this bear. going to do? I'm going to play with them. Get her out of here. Are you crazy? That thing will kill you. He's right. It's magic. So am I. Right, as my dear friend John Colson will attest, one of my bugbears in any movie ever is uh, a technique that began with Keanu Reeves in the movie 47 Ronin, and we refer to it as, by the way, I'm magic. It's when a character just suddenly introduces late in the game that they have magical abilities. This movie literally does that. Well, you know, just in case audiences may be a little bit stupid going into watching this, yeah, you need it spelled out for you. You wouldn't mind either, but her her magic powers seem to extend literally to her right arm turning into sills from the movie Species, complete with a lightsaber and the ability to portal anywhere she wants, which is made funnier by the fact that at the end of this movie they complain that they're 20 miles away from anywhere, like civilization. And should we try and get there? Will we make it? You start thinking, dude, two of you can fly and one of you can open portals. <laughs> I can tell how much effort went into the writing of this. This is a shambles. It really does. 
does feel like a film. It feels like that first draft of a film that needs the reshoots, which is exactly what it is, if we're being honest. Were you even vaguely excited about seeing this? Uh, no, I've not actually seen this yet. Um, I must admit, though, from the trailer, the, I, I was enjoying that horror angle that it was showing. Hmm. But after, obviously, listening to you, it's like, really? <laughs> <laughs> We've had some rants. We've had some rants. Actually, the weirdest thing I can compare it to is because it uses this single location, it uses the asylum location, and it's so drab and miserable looking. The thing I kept thinking about was the movie Glass. You remember how we were all really excited about Glass? Yeah. And they just turned out to be this movie about three dudes in an asylum together, like no <laughs> yeah. one else around. It was the weirdest thing. Apparently, this cost $80 million. Now, that's staggering to me, given that the first Deadpool movie cost 58 and looks like an absolute epic at the side of what can only really be described here as feeling an awful lot like a shoddy made-for-the-Fox network TV pilot. <laughs> um, Anya Taylor-Joy is absolutely agonizing to sit through in this movie. She really needs to issue her agent a, a new remit other than, please get me roles that require me to have resting bitch face and a pout. Because that, that just yeah, seems to be her whole thing. It is. That's her normal face. And everyone's lapping it up. Yeah, it seems to be. It seems to be. I mean, I don't think they'll lap the film because I think anyone will come away from this going. So this is basically like this is like five kids kind of whining about their problems, and then at the very end, for like six minutes, there's an X Men movie. It's the weirdest combination. Not to mention, I'm sorry, but as far as plot twists go, imagine right. For, for it's one of the weakest you've ever seen. Imagine if you had a movie in which a character wore literally a swastika, a swastika on there like, as a brooch, and then the twist was they're a Nazi. <laughs> it's that level of twist. And you're going, okay, now I'm aware that that only works on people who've read comic books, but there's a fair few of those the last time I checked. Um, the performances are okay, I guess. I mean, you've got the kid from, from Stranger Things in there playing Sam. Charlie Heaton, I think his name is. He's yeah, British, yeah, isn't he? yeah. Yeah, he's he's like okay, I guess, with this sort of RG shucks Kentucky kind of accent, you know. And then you've got uh, Maisie Williams, who, because of how long ago this was filmed, is still about twelve at that point. <laughs> and uh, you know, if you watch Game of Thrones, you know that she grew up quick. And uh, this had to have been filmed before the end of Game of Thrones, which was two years ago, and terrible, I might add. And she's doing this Scottish accent, which is equally dreadful. Um, it's just not. Very good. Every time they introduce, uh, you know, new supposedly captivating elements, they just come across as weak, dialed-in sort of television beats. Um, and, and that's before you get to the fact that Anya Taylor-Joy's character seems to consist entirely of racial stereotypes that she flings out at every single one of her cast members, all of which do seem to do, seem to have been devised as some sort of mechanism to generate controversy. Right? It is an awful, awful film. <laughs> it, to me, it just sounds like the studio have just had enough of just talk about it and constant supposed reshoots and just try to get it out there as like get rid of this we don't need this rubbish anymore <laughs> There is. I mean, put it this way, this this film is so badly put together that its set design literally consists of the complete Buffy box set. Oh. And I'm not even making that up. And I'm enough of a nerd to know that the characters don't even watch it in order. That's how badly put together this is. Um, it, it's, a, for me, it's charitably a two-star film. The X-Men fan in me would give this, like, no stars because I, I think it's a pathetic 
pathetic effort. You have seen this a dozen times, and every single one of those dozen times, you've seen it done better. The only reason this wasn't dumped to Disney Plus is apparently because there was a contractual uh, agreement in the Disney Plus in the Disney Fox merger that required this to have a theatrical release. Oh. Now it's amazing that that seems to have been strangely buried, but I remember reading that, and yeah, it makes an awful lot of sense given the absolute debacle this turned out to be. I don't know what kind of breakfast was put on at the uh, week of release critics show, which strangely enough took place four days after the public previews, but that should tell you an awful lot about the contrarian opinions coming out in some reviews. I would give this the lowest possible ranking I could, like I say, charitably two, and that's only because it's been such a struggle to get here, I almost like respect it for at least sticking the landing and actually reaching cinemas. Has Josh Boone actually gone into hiding as well? Yeah, he has deleted Instagram, which is kind of fascinating because it took two decades of, of sexual assault allegations against Brian Singer for him to uh, remove his Twitter account. And Brett Ratner actually outright bragged about the things he did to uh, Olivia Munn. And all he did was set his Twitter account to private. So I think yeah. Josh Boone's going to overkill a bit, to be honest. But uh, <laughs> right, on to Mulan, which is way, way better. We're overrunning for time, so we're going to cram this in as quick as we can. Uh, Mulan, which we've both seen. Uh, this is new movie. This is Disney's live action adaptation of the 90s. 1998 animated class? 98, yeah. 98. Uh, so this one comes with a certain amount of uh, of much-needed hype and expectation. It's been put to Disney Plus Premiere Access from today, from Friday the 4th. So the idea is you pay 30 quid, 29.99, and you get to own this for, you know, life, but this is only an exclusive for, I think, two months? Is it until November 5th? And then it's on Disney Plus regular from December 4th. So you know, it might save you some money if you otherwise plan to take the kids to the to the cinema. This stars uh, Yifei Lu as the you know eponymous uh, Mulan. She is the young Chinese maiden who disguises herself as a male warrior in order to um, defend her family's honor and stand in for her father during conscription into the war. And here comes here comes the clip of basically the point that you know it's about to jump off any time Donnie Yen turns up. <laughs> Need a hand, little man. Insult me again, or you'll taste the tip of my blade. Lower your sword. What? I'm your commanding officer. Fighting will not be tolerated, am I clear? Yes, Commander. With your voice, soldier. Yes, Commander. What is your name? Hua Jun, Commander. Is this your family sword? It belongs to my father, Hua Zhou. Following line. I am one with the force, the force is with me. God, I love Donnie Yen. Who doesn't love Donnie Yen? He's such a badass. He's <laughs> such a badass. And that clip just doesn't do the film justice, I've got to say that. It doesn't. The surprising lack of clips in Milan. Now, now, you're with me, aren't you, that this is actually really, really good? Yeah, I absolutely love this. And I, I'm ashamed to say I've not seen the animated feature. So I was actually pleasantly surprised at how good this is. Well, that's it. I mean, visually, it's extraordinary. It's colourful. It's vibrant. It's incredibly striking. I actually, I think we said this when we watched it. This would make a better IMAX presentation than Tenet. She's <laughs> oh, yes. really saying something. <laughs> and there's this gorgeous musical arrangement from from Harry Gregson Williams as well that really makes it. And of course, it gets to fulfil one of my favourite tropes in any movie, which is teapots. Every time someone raids loot in one of these movies. 
Why is the loot always gold teapot? Why is it teapots? And not one guy ever turns around and says, ah, no, thanks, Chief. I've, I've, I've already got enough teapots. Thank you. I'm just here for the vengeance. <laughs> well, you know, teapots, they're a valuable asset. <laughs> they, clearly, they clearly were in ancient China. Um, I think it's, uh, of all the Disney live-action movies, it's easily the least child-friendly, in a good way. Mm. It has its heart in absolutely the right place. It's an incredible production design. Um, there's a cameo towards the end of this that I think anyone who knows the original knows has to come. I'm not talking about Eddie Murphy, by the way. Um, <laughs> that character actually is missing, because isn't he a singing dragon? He's, he's missing entirely. Um, also, Jet Li is in this movie, and as you, as you can attest, I did not recognise him for the yeah. entirety yeah. of this movie. Um, I tell you who I did mention, uh, did uh, did spot though, and I, I really missed him in movies. Jason Scott Lee as one of the villains. How much have we missed Jason Scott Lee in movies? Oh, massively. I didn't even recognise him myself. I was like, oh my god, when did he get so old? <laughs> But no, I thought this was a really impressive, really solid one of these uh, these live action adaptations. I think I would go so far as to say it's in the top three for me. I still think that uh, Lion King and Jungle, I, mind you, I still think Jungle Book is the best one. I will go out on a limb for Cinderella as well. I would give this the third spot for me. Oh uh, really? I, I think I'd give it the, the top spot at the moment. You would give this one top? Huh? Yeah, yeah. I was, I was, I was felt that much in love with it, and I think it's also, you know, it has those sexist undertones to it but that's the Hmm. point that's the point of this film it's this young girl wanting to be a warrior she's not allowed to she's a girl but I mean I think think Disney have actually they're pretty on point with that with telling the, the stories from the female point of view I think they well, generally the speaking, aren't they? Disney are the first. Yeah, that's it. They are the original company for that, aren't they? Because, you know, the Disney Princess Trap. All right, it's a little bit, you know, their, their version of it got a little bit outdated at one point, but they've they've clawed it back. They've clawed it back, I think. Yeah, definitely. I think so. And also, you mentioned about the Chinese Arpats in there. <laughs> yes, there is an actor whose name I forget who plays her uh, her sort of sidekick slash love interest slash best friend who really does sort of play like the Chinese arpats, doesn't he? Yeah, and once you say that and you see it, you can't unsee it. That's it. It's stuck there. <laughs> you really can't. So would you would you recommend Mulan? Would you think? Would you think it's worth the twenty nine ninety nine uplift for this one? <laughs> see, you know. Uh, really really pains me to say this but yes I, I, i'm not a massive fan of having to pay that much extra to see a film i'd rather see it on the big screen you really wanted to not like this just because of the uplift didn't you and yet yes. you couldn't help yourself i know it's like no <laughs> Well, I, I say it's out uh, on Disney Plus Premiere Access for twenty nine ninety nine from today, Friday the 4th of September. Um, it, it's a must for teapot enthusiasts everywhere. Uh, do check it out. We thought it was great. Welcome back to Off Screen. And, well, since you're still not supposed to be outside, we're going to give you some excuses to actually enjoy being on that couch and watching some movies on Freeview for the next seven days. So we're going to start with uh, Saturday through Monday. And, of course, what's better than a good laugh on a Saturday night? And I don't know if you've seen this this recently, Zara. Uh, Saturday night, 9pm, ITV2, one of, I think, the comedies of the 21st century. It's Shaun of the Dead. Come on, how big a fan are you? I'm not. (laughs) You're not? That was an anti-climax. Thanks for that. (laughs) I hate this film. I hate the Cornetto. How can you hate Shaw the... 
Okay, well, fine. If you hate the trilogy, that's fine. As long as you hate them all, well, I hate the first two equally. I hope you hate the third <laughs> more than any of them. Um, so, Shaun of the Dead, the first uh, big uh, feature, sort of feature splashy effort from Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg, who co-wrote the movie together. Simon Pegg stars, Edgar Wright directs, uh, also co-stars Peter Serafinowicz, Penelope Winton, Nick Frost. Uh, oh my, who's the guy from Black Books I'm thinking of? Who's the guy from Black Books now? Plays Bernard Black. Dylan Moran, that's it, it's going to drive me mad. Uh, so this is, of course, um, a British parody, effectively, of the zombie genre. And uh, although it sounds like the kind of thing you'd be bored to tears of now, believe it or not, this actually opened back in a time when we weren't inundated with zombie fiction. Mm-hmm. And the idea of a comedy, particularly a British comedy, that parodied you know, the, the classics of George Romero was actually something unique. And it all hinged upon... Effectively, the writing and the comedy and the banter between Nick Frost and Simon Pegg. Banter such as, well, how to make an escape plan to weather out the zombie apocalypse. Like this. Where's safe? Where's familiar? Where can I smoke? Not to approach anyone suffering from the disorder, even if they are... Take on, go to Mum's, kill Phil, sorry, grab Liz, go to the Winchester, have a nice cold pint and wait for all this to blow over. That for a slice of fried gold. Yeah, boy! It is vital that you stay in your homes, make no attempt to reach loved ones, and avoid all physical contact with the assailants. Do you believe everything you hear on TV? Well, I mean, in this day and age, I think most people believe the things <laughs> they see on TV. But how, how quotable, though? I mean, even if you don't like the film, it's interesting how much of the film has sort of permeated popular culture to the extent... Even in that clip, there's two lines of dialogue in that clip maybe three, actually, tell a lie, three, yeah. that are now so quoted so often. So, I mean, like, how's that for a slice of fried gold? My friend Colson says that all the time. Yeah, boy, is my flatmate's catchphrase. And um, the whole, uh, you know, go to the Winchester, have a pint and wait for this to blow over is a meme that took on a life of its own the minute the coronavirus hit. <laughs> it certainly did. It really did. Um, I think it's. I think it is a stone-cold classic. It's one of those films I think was very overplayed early on, definitely you need a wide window, I think, now before you go back. But I think most people haven't seen it in so long now that it's a good point to to revisit. I still prefer Hot Fuzz. I think Hot Fuzz is a stronger film, but I'm aware that I am definitely in the minority on this one. Out of interest, where do you stand? Hot Fuzz or Sean? Which do you prefer? Oh, God. It'll have to be Hot Fuzz. I I can't... I think... I think Sean of the Dead was the first film that made me hate the zombie genre. (laughs) And it barely barely been revived at that point. (laughs) Exactly. <laughs> no, this this is the, this is the really interesting thing uh, because I had to explain to the lady of my life who has never seen Shaun of the Dead and obviously is an American and has never experienced uh, the British you know phenomenon around Shaun of the Dead the term zomromcom. <laughs> which was invented purely for this film. She thought I was making it. I'm like, no, no, they literally put that on the poster and on the trailer. That is a thing. Uh, if you've never seen Shaun of the Dead, do check it out. Evidently, according to Zara, you will either love it or hate it. But either way, you can find out for yourself 9pm ITV2 on Saturday night. On to Sunday then. Bit of a Sunday afternoon, kind of a chill film yeah. that also is kind of a weird modern masterpiece mm. from, from Jim Carrey. 4.50 on Sony Movies. 
It's the Truman Show. Now, before I queue, queue up and you, you absolutely shatter my illusions, what do you think of the Truman Show, Zara? I actually love the Truman Show, and it's one of only two Jim Carrey films that I do love. What was the other one? Man on the Moon. Oh, Man on the Moon. Okay, fair enough. How can you not love Ace Ventura, The Mask, and Don oh. That is the best three-film run any actor has ever had. We are very different in our sense of humour. We are very different, we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we definitely are. So that's the thing. Okay, now the Truman Show seems to have taken on an almost mythic status in recent years people don't just like the Truman Show people love the Truman Show I, mean, I, I, I will run out of fingers and toes if I try counting every friend I have who's, who's really just borderline obsessed by the Truman Show and there's a lot a lot of nuance been drawn from it a lot of people have read into the text in ways that you wouldn't think there's an entire making of by the way that is actually set in universe there is an in universe making of the Truman Show that was ex- made exclusively for Nickelodeon and it is still on YouTube if you've never seen it i heartily recommend checking it out because it actually expands the world of truman burbank his surname is very telling by the way mm. who is uh, he, i think he's a, he's a, an orphaned baby who is effectively adopted by a broadcast uh, by a broadcaster as the subject of the world's first 24 hour all-consuming reality show, as in he is put in a world that is completely staged and built out of cameras. He grows up to be Jim Carrey and, of course, starts to suspect one day that his reality may not quite be what he thinks it is. Let me get you some help, Truman. You're not well. Why do you want to have a baby with me? You can't stand me. That's not true. Why don't you let me fix you some of this new Mococo drink? All natural cocoa beans from the upper slopes of Mount Nicaragua, no artificial sweeteners. What the hell are you talking about? Who are you talking to? I've tasted other cocos. This is the best. What the hell does this have to do with anything? Tell me what's happening! Now, to be fair, his performance in this is absolutely brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. It's just like he, he takes this character... He, he take, it's, it's his very being. It's in every pore of his being. Hmm. Absolutely. But I think it's a great, I think it's just a really great, really suspenseful movie in mm. itself. I also really like the performance from Ed Harris as Kristoff, yeah. who's a sort of beret wearing artiste uh, mastermind who's actually running the Truman Show. And I'd actually forgotten until I was finding the clip for this that Paul Giamatti is in this as one of the sort of. Uh, control booth operators because obviously the control booth that runs the Truman show is based in the moon yeah in Truman's, right. uh, in Truman's well genuinely brilliant movie and one that every time I watch it I get something new out of I can absolutely see how this has garnered the cult's modern like cult mythic status that it has if you are a fan you'll never turn down a chance to revisit and if you've never seen it do go on YouTube and check out that uh that in-universe making of as well which hints at other things as well that um, for one thing they were planning on having Truman go on vacation and they actually built a set and they show you like them <laughs> building the set for where Truman where Truman would be taken on vacation and everything like that it's really interesting it's really fascinating stuff also you get to you get to know the characters the supporting characters a little bit more like his best friend became an alcoholic because he was playing an alcoholic and the only way he could do it convincingly was to become an alcoholic <laughs> it's fascinating stuff um, why have I never seen this something with <laughs> I'm surprised about absolutely this. I'm check really go on YouTube yeah I'll, 
I will send you the link. Watch it. It's fascinating stuff. But completely different tone for Monday night, though. Uh, Monday, the 7th of September, 9pm Sony Movies. Another stone-cold classic of the 90s. It's Face Off, Miss Feeling. Now, how do you feel about Face Off? Uh, I love Face Off as well. How can you not love Face Off? Exactly. It's Travolta v Cage, and it's basically a competition to see who can play play the more broad OTT psychopath. And to be fair, I think it comes out in a tie. It is effectively (laughs) the tech versus crim thriller that sees tech and crim swap faces effectively so that the cop is placed in is left in prison to rot and uh so the cop is like the tech tech slash cop is left in prison to rot while the criminal is out there wearing his face sleeping with his wife and abusing his power and of course it all builds that mythic john woo level of well what can you say it's a face off I don't know what I hate wearing worse. Your face or your body? I mean, I enjoy boning your wife, but uh, let's face it, we both like it better the other way, yes? So why don't we just trade back? You can't give back what you've taken from me. Oh well, plan B. Let's just kill each other. <laughs> it's got slow-mo, it's got doves, it's got it's got Travolta and Cage. What's not to love from a John Woo movie? And of course, the, the part that I really love about this is for no apparent reason Nick Cassavetes turns up in it as you know as as a sort of expert level drug dealer. And I'm sort of thinking, why Nick? Why are you doing this? You're a pretty decent director yourself. Why are you turning up as a goon in a John Woo movie? Can't figure that one out. Um, brilliant movie though. I mean, yeah. literally starts with an action sequence that ends most films usually. Yeah, exactly, and it's just like full on in your face from the very word go. I mean, Paramount apparently were talking about giving the film a facelift um, <laughs> and redoing it. Sorry, <laughs> um, no, it couldn't, couldn't be helped. No, well, I can imagine that. But the thing that gets me is, I think when it was going through development, I'm sure it was Schwarzenegger and Stallone, and then it was. Was it Seagal and Van Damme were rumoured at one point? There was Michael Douglas and someone. It's like Michael Douglas stayed on as producer because he, he still credits as a producer on the film to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, fascinating film. I very rarely consider it a sci-fi film, but apparently it is actually classified as a sci-fi action film. It's one of the least sci-fi style action movies you'll ever see, but it's a great John Woo movie. I've got, I've got to say that. How do you work that out that it's a sci-fi film? What, because there's a bit of tech that's what it's missed the faces. <laughs> uh, that's it, apparently. I can only imagine it played more as a traditional sci-fi film early on in its development. But uh, you know what? The end result is one hell of a movie. I, 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 was a, I was a big John Woo fan at this point in my life because of, of uh, uh, what was it called? Uh, a Hard Target with, uh, with Van Damme, uh, Broken Arrow as well. I was a big fan of Broken Arrow. And then Face Off came along, and that was, that was a good run for a filmmaker who would then kind of toss it all away with the Ben Affleck movie <laughs> paycheck but uh, you know, the, the less we say about the better but you know what face off still a stone cold classic and that can uh, that can be the perfect way to start your week Monday night 9pm on Sony Movies we shall return with the rest of your week
And we're back with more reasons for you to stay on that couch. And, uh, well, we're going to take you next into darkness for Tuesday, the 8th of September. E4, 9pm, is, of course, the second instalment of the rebooted J.J. Abrams Star Trek series, known to fans as the Kelvin Timeline, because that's a sort of nerd uh, umbrella we, we put it under. And uh, this is, of course, the second movie that was directed by J.J. Abrams. I think the third one was... Who directs the third? Was it Justin Lin, I think, directs Star Trek Beyond, I think. Yeah, I can't actually remember off the top of my head. <laughs> I think it's just in the I remember Simon Pegg co-wrote it because that's why Scotty yes. gets all the good bits in it. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is, I'm sure, not intentional at all. So Star Trek Into Darkness, best described by uh, by certain writers as uh, effectively Star Trek's take on post 9/11 fear culture, which is a pretty good way to look at it. This sees a terrorist attack on Starfleet bring Captain Kirk and Spock into uh, conflict with a man known only as John Harrison, which at the time this movie was released, I'm sorry, John Harrison is played by Benedict Cumberbatch, who at the time this movie was released was basically the biggest star on this planet for like five minutes. Mm -hmm. And uh, the character was shrouded in mystery because it's a J.J. Abrams movie and who he was was a big twist now the thing is it's been eight years so if you don't know the twist by now uh well on your own head be it what have you been hiding under a rock who the hell are you a remnant of a time long past genetically engineered to be superior so as to lead others to peace in a world at war we were condemned as criminals forced into exile for centuries we slept hoping when we awoke things would be different. But as a result of the destruction of Vulcan, your Starfleet began to aggressively search distant quadrants of space. My ship was found adrift. I alone was revived. I looked up John Harrison. Until a year ago, he didn't exist. John Harrison was a fiction created the moment I was awoken by your Admiral Marcus to help him advance his cause. A smokescreen to conceal my true identity. My name is Khan. Now, that line actually got followed up immediately in the, uh, <laughs> the limited screening that we had with me turning to my friend Dave Walker and shouting the words, right, pay up. Um, <laughs> it's pretty obvious, isn't it, really? <laughs> pretty obvious, yeah. We Because that was the thing, we were all just taking bets on who it was going to be, and that's the one where we're like, okay, pay up, mate, come on. <laughs> and, uh, do you know what? Good movie, though. I think it's a way better movie than, than people really treat it as. I think it was, you said yourself that this got a rough ride, a whole series got a rough ride you said and I, I agree with that entirely yeah definitely i mean there's there's a lot of fun to be had with this series um even in that clip alone i think i'm not i'm not a big fan i don't fancy benedict cumberbatch but i've got goosebumps just listening to that <laughs> <laughs> actually wow. i i heard a comment uh, i heard a comment on it recently that uh, into darkness reads quite well as old trek versus new trek because obviously it takes the tropes and story beats from Wrath of Khan and applies it to the you know the new younger crew. Now I actually think that that's quite clever in how it does that because what it shows yeah. is that certain behavioural traits and certain events are just destined to happen to these characters. There are certain things that well they will just do no matter what the universe, no matter what they're upbringing. There are certain things these characters will just do, 
and particularly in the final 15 minutes of this film that becomes very apparent to me as the uh, the overriding sort of point of the film but you know other than that it's just a great big violent honking space ride and i'm a big fan of it so tuesday night 9 p.m e4 on then to uh something with a little bit more tna on five star on wednesday night uh five past 11 on five star it is of course <laughs> the movie that every teenage boy owned on vhs in the late <laughs> 90s it's wild things ladies and gentlemen starring kevin bacon but most importantly denise richards and Nev Campbell as the uh, this is the the story of a rape allegation in in a southern florida high school that gets taken uh, to a whole other level when it begins to unravel a vast conspiracy that the d- investigating detective played by Kevin Bacon discovers involves uh, the would-be accused played by Matt Dillon back when we still allowed Matt Dillon to be in movies <laughs> and also his accusers themselves let's have a clip maybe there's no physical evidence because nothing happened you want my gut? There it is. I think she's acting. I think she set it up to be alone with him so that he could come on to her. She's upset because he didn't. Maybe she set it up that way. Maybe not. I mean, if you ask me, the guy never should have had her out there in the first place, period. Gloria, the line I have on this guy is that half the women in Blue Bay. That doesn't yeah, make right. him a rapist. I will say that that clip might be the last time in recorded history that anyone ever accused Denise Richards of acting. <laughs> but, uh, you know what? Great movie. Great movie. And actually, it's aged really well. It's not Bill Murray's in this as well. We like to forget that, don't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot he was in this <laughs> as well. And going back to you saying every teenage boy had this, I was actually seeing someone at the time... And he was in his mid-twenties, and he played it constantly. Oh, well, I mean, we didn't have internet porn back then, so the VHS <laughs> of Wild Things was was basically, you know, that was the next best thing. But you know what? We, don't, we can't spoil too much about the plot mm. of Wild Things or why it was so appealing to teenage boys. All I'll say is if you watch it, you'll very quickly discover why. And uh, <laughs> either way, 5 past 11, 5 star, Wednesday night. Let's move on to 10, 10 to 7, 6.50. Film for Thursday night, something a bit more dramatic and a bit more meaningful than uh, than Wild Things. It's Suffragette, which is uh, you know the story of the Suffragette movement as told through the eyes of laundry factory worker Carrie uh, Mulligan and her encounter with Emmeline Pankhurst and how this spurred her into uh, moving into, into basically joining the movement. Let's have a clip before we get into the meat of it. Be militant, each of you in your own way. Those of you who can break windows, break them. Those of you who can further attack the sacred idol of property, do so. We have been left with no alternative but to defy this government. If we must go to prison to obtain the vote, let it be the windows of government, not the bodies of women which shall be broken. Round the back, round the back. I incite this meeting and all the women in Britain to rebellion. How long do you think it took them in the discussion stage? I don't even think this reached a casting director, but in the discussion stage to come up with Meryl Streep as Emmeline Pankhurst, I figure that was what five seconds and then a coffee break. Yeah, that's pretty much a, a given, isn't it? Really, <laughs> and you know, I think that was basically it. And it has a, a great cast as well, but this is just. I mean, it's great what they're trying to do. They're trying to highlight what these women went through back in the day. But it's just all a bit too slow and it just drags and it's just, there's drama and then there's just like, oh. Melodrama. Yeah. <laughs> 
No, this for me, for me, it worked. I mean, but then again, you know, I understand this is this is one of those things as well. Where I think gender plays a, a role in how you see suffragette. I think actually, I think in a strange way, suffragette might work better for men than women because men simply know less about it. We're generally a more ignorant gender of the uh, gender on the subject. <laughs> so maybe that's it. Yeah, but you got to remember, I'm not your typical woman. That is that is very true. Sarah. No one is ever calling you the typical woman. I'll, I'll give you that. <laughs> but uh, so six fifty, film four, Thursday night. That is suffragette. Uh, I think worth seeing just for uh, for Meryl as Emmeline Pankhurst. I mean, how could you possibly go wrong with that bit of casting? Um, onto a movie that I think was it's now regarded as a Stone Cold classic, but I think was uh, was taken as a bit of a mixed bag upon its initial release. Uh, on Friday nights, ten forty five on BBC One. It is. David Fincher's 2007 effort and interestingly enough I think the last role Robert Downey Jr. took on before he became Iron Man because he still had more or less the same facial hair for it is Zodiac which is of course the story of the the infamous killer and the uh, the cartoonist played here by uh, Jake Gyllenhaal who found himself uh, one of the only people who could decipher the inane ramblings of this would-be madman Sergeant Mullenix Sergeant Paul Avery from the San Francisco Chronicle I just want to check if you had an unsolved firearm related homicide on Christmas and maybe one on July 4th you guys got one too confirmed VPD they confirmed that Shootings. Al's on the phone of the examiner. They got the same letter with a different code. Sort of the Times Herald. Christmas. Two teenagers on Lover's Lane, both the OA. David Faraday and Betty Jensen. July 4th, Darlene Farron and Michael Mig... I think it's Mayhew. Anyway, he lived. She didn't. The murder weapon? Ballistics. Everything he said in the letters matched. I mean, I think the Times Herald's going to go with it. The examiner's going, but won't go front page. I say, let's go front page. If he kills 12 people, it's not our fault. Now, that would obviously be a lot quicker and less of a debate, I think, if you did that in a modern newsroom. They wouldn't think twice about uh, endangering lives through publishing information, <laughs> would they? But, no, uh, no. no, I mean, look at the cast on this. Okay, This is just some of the cast, right? Yeah. Just within, like, five seconds. Jake Gyllenhaal, Mark Ruffalo, Anthony Edwards, Robert Downey Jr., Brian Cox, John Carroll Lynch, Chloe Savini. Um, I think Elias Cateus was the sergeant on the phone at the beginning of that. This, the cast list on this one goes on. On and on, but I think this was meant to be David Fincher's big dramatic period piece epic. It's uh, just, I think, proved a bit dry for some people. It did for me. Did it for you as well? Yeah, I did find it again another one that's quite slow. I don't actually ever remember seeing all of it in its entirety. I remember because I didn't see it in the cinema. I know I've seen it at home, and I remember seeing probably the first half an hour. Probably fell asleep in the middle. Woke up for the end. <laughs> I think I remember an idiot friend of mine saying, well, "Of course you didn't like it. There's no spaceships in it." To which my immediate response is, "One of my favourite movies is Clerks. You dumbass." But uh, never mind. Okay, so um, <laughs> Friday night, ten forty-five on BBC One, Zodiac. Which I will admit, I have softened on over time. I saw it again recently, and I actually think still, I think I've revised my opinion now. So actually, very, very good. Um, so if you're uh, if you've uh, spent as many years watching Robert Downey Jr. in detail as I have, there's some uh, interesting things to note regarding his performance in this as well that uh, come into play in the later Iron Man movies. But I actually think quite an interesting uh, interesting movie that in our day and age now, in which we are so much more accustomed to true crime dramas and procedurals and things like Mindhunter and things like that, mm. this plays a lot better than it did 13 years ago. Yeah, I'll have to revisit that soon because I haven't seen it for at least a couple of years. Well, there you go. Quarter to 11, Friday night on BBC One. Give it a shot. Welcome back for one last ride on off screen. This time, 
We're going shiny discs. It's DVD and Blu-ray. We'll, we'll follow up with some streaming, but we'll get you some discs first. On a home release from Monday, 7th of September, we've got two titles. One animated, one live action, which is better, I think, the first. So it's Superman, Man of Tomorrow, new animated effort from the, uh, the you know, Warner's DC animated label. This is... Now, I thought this was an original uh, story, and I'm, I'm reliably told by Calvin Prickett this is loosely based on the story Superman, American Alien, by none other than Max Landis, but don't hold that against it because it's actually not bad. So uh, this sees Darren Chris, who I think is from Glee, isn't he? He's uh, Kurt's boyfriend in Glee, whose name takes me, um, who plays Superman in this incarnation. Zachary Quinto is Lex Luthor, and Alexander Dario is the voice of Lois Lane. Although most interesting to me, Clark's parents in this, so Jonathan and Martha Kent, Martha, are played by none other than Neil Flynn, a.k.a. the janitor from Scrubs, and Bellamy Young, a.k.a. the best part of the TV series Scandal. She played uh, Melly Grant in Scandal, who was easily my best character. Uh, my, my favorite character, easily the best character. Um, the story here is, it's effectively Superman's first adventure. I think of it as a sort of alternate Gen Y, Gen Z or Gen Y, whatever, pilot for Lois and Clark, if you will. But in this version, the antagonistic threat is both Lobo, the intergalactic bounty hunter, and the villain Parasite, who I thought was a Green Lantern villain, but I guess maybe I'm wrong. And uh, it is about Superman, sort of, you know, how he gets the suit and how he sort of comes out to the world and basically has to face a villain who feeds on both the memories, life force, and abilities of every every person he comes into, which obviously creates an issue when he comes into uh, contact with Superman, Lobo, and the Martian Manhunter of all people. Uh, we've not got a clip for it, but uh, I thought this was really good. A tight 86 minutes, you know, animated romp. The animation is sort of reminiscent of All-Star Superman, if anyone's ever read that, which I, I thought was very good. And also, that got its own animated movie a while back as well. Um, there's a, quite a bit going for it. If uh, you've got kids who are sort of recently into, you know, comic book movies and comic book superheroes and things like that, this is a pretty good early Superman adventure to get them into. And it, it skews quite young as well. As with all of these things, I think it's rated 12, so there's always like there's those two token, you know, curse bombs, I think the S-bombs in this case, both of which come from Lobo. It's almost like they're gearing us up for a live-action film in some way. But uh, I do think we're checking it. It's out on digital already, but you can get it on DVD and Blu-ray from Monday, as well as a movie that you're actually more familiar with, Miss um, Phelan. It's none other than Love, Sarah. Do you remember seeing this all a while back? Oh, you've actually stopped waxing lyrical about that film. Um, I had to... <laughs> I had to actually look it up again, and I was like, "Oh, I have seen this film. Completely forgot about it. It's that memorable." This is the uh, this is the the, the the cake shop one, the bakery one, yeah. isn't it? So this uh, yeah. <clears throat> this this uh, stars Celia Imrie, doesn't it? As uh, uh, this is effectively uh, the story of, of two young women who have partnered up to launch a bakery. You've got the one who's actually the baker and the one who's the business mind. The baker is unfortunately killed in the opening credits, and it's left to the business mind to get the bakery going on her own. And Celia Imrie t- turns in as the deceased's uh, aunt slash surrogate mother. And of course, you've got none other than Rupert Penry Jones as the would-be hunk slash baker. <laughs> uh, let's, let's have a clip that, uh, that sets the tone before we get into just how hunky Rupert Penry Jones really is. I'm here about the baking job. It's a rose macaron filled with rose petal and lychee cremeure and fresh raspberries. The batter's undermixed. Sorry? Not by much, but it could do with a few more folds. The 
There are four other bakers. What makes you so special? Why didn't you try one? Tell me. Good luck. Here we go. Wow, crowds. This city is home to people from all over the place. We make our bakery something to remind them of home. You were her best friend. If anyone can put her spirit into this, it's you. So you're going to join me or what? She does join him. Spoiler <laughs> alert. I mean, that's like a third of the way through the movie. He's Rupert Penry Jones. Who wouldn't? He's a hunky man. He's got some swarth going for him, you know? Bit of swoon. Um, so I'm, so I'm just a really big Spooks fan. Uh, I don't think the film is great, but it's got just enough charm to basically hold it together. I mean, it, it is what it is. It's, you know, a neat British, you know, dramedy, as it were, about a bakery. Well, it's got Celia Imre in it. You know, it kind of does what it says on the tin, really. It's supposed to be that feel-good... Sunday afternoon kind of film, isn't it? And Rupert, he just reminds me of a, a younger version of Paul Bettany. You think you young Paul Bettany, really? Yeah, in Wimbledon. Do you remember Wimbledon? Oh, yeah, sure. You know, now that you're saying Wimbledon, yeah, yeah, I can see that, actually. Now, I, I think I think uh, Rupert Penry-Jones, I think he's a sexier man than Paul Bettany, but I'm sure he's <laughs> in the world somehow. But, uh, so let's move on to streaming then. So uh, we've neither of us have seen this. This is going to be out on uh, on Netflix next Thursday. I mean, we've put these in the wrong order, it's worth noting. But um, on Netflix next Thursday, uh, 10th of September, a sequel to a movie I really loved and uh, I'm, I'm shocked to say is the best movie McGee has ever directed. It was The Babysitter and we've now got the sequel, The Babysitter Killer Queen. Did you see The Babysitter? Was it three, four years ago? Did you see The Babysitter? Nope. And I'd stay clear. No, I stayed clear of it on purpose. <laughs> Did you? Is it by any chance is that because it stars Bella Thorne? Because I can absolutely understand that after like the past week. I think everyone's going to stay clear of Bella Thorne as often as possible. Bella Thorne is always top of my list to stay clear of. So yes, sorry. <laughs> I think so. I think so. But of course, the babysitter was uh, the story of a sort of teenage boy who's you know who's sexy as hell babysitter played by Samara Weaving, and, and that was the movie that made me absolutely fall in love with Sam Weaving. Um, basically, he had a you know, massive crush on Samara Weaving because what teenage boy would. Uh, only to discover that she and her friends were members of a satanic cult who were going to sacrifice him. Of course, obviously they didn't, because there's a sequel, and they were all killed. We've now got a sequel in which they're back, only now they're undead, and they're trying it all over again. It's worth noting the trailers do stay away from showing you Samara Weaving's return, although she is credited on this, and we do hear her voice in the trailer, so we shall see. I can't help but notice, though, that there's a lot more Robbie Amell and Bella Thorne, so mm, a bit of a, a doff reunion going on there, which is okay in my books, even though it's Bella Thorne, who I can't stand, and I'm pretty <laughs> sure after the events of the past week, most of the adult entertainment industry can't stand either. But that is going to be on Netflix uh, Thursday the 10th. Uh, hopefully we'll review that next week as well. But in the meanwhile, on Amazon this next week, on Amazon on uh, Saturday, in fact, on Saturday the 5th, two movies that I thought were very good. We've got Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, up first, which is, of course, the... Uh, well, it, it wasn't exactly a, a quick sequel to Jumanji. I think it took, what, 21 <laughs> years to get yeah. a sequel to Jumanji? And it took the likes of Dwayne Johnson, Kevin Hart, Karen Gillan, 
Jack Black and Reese Darby, of all people, uh, to bring it back. This time, the, the board game that started it all has turned into a video game because as the opening credits of the movie brilliantly demonstrate, and it's kind of a brilliant idea for a reboot, when kids aren't interested in board games anymore, the game has to adapt itself to lure them in so it becomes a video game cartridge that then sucks uh, characters, it sucks its victims into the game, into the world of Jumanji, basically where Robin Williams was stuck for all those years as their avatars that they choose at the beginning of the video game. So you'll hear that aptly demonstrated by none other than The Rock himself right here. You're telling me that you're Spencer? Yes, 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 that's it. Fridge, I'm Spencer, which which means you're Moose Finbar. It says it right there on your vest. And Martha? Yeah. You're Ruby Roundhouse. And Bethany, you're Professor Shelley Oberon. Only Shelley must be short for Sheldon. What are you talking about? Oh, my God. Oh, my God, he's right. And you... You're Spencer? You? Yes. Guys, I'm telling you. I am Spencer. I'm Spencer. Ah! Yep, that's Spencer. So what did you think of Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle, Zara? I absolutely loved this. I remember it coming out just before Christmas in 2017. Whether I was filled with the Christmas spirit, I don't know, but it's so much fun. <laughs> um, well, it beats the following perfect. Christmas when we saw Cats. <laughs> oh, God, dear God. Don't even go there. I'm still having nightmares. <laughs> so, go on, you were saying about the cast. I think they're a great cast. Yeah, they're a great cast. I mean, absolutely hilarious. Jack Black was the woman, wasn't he? He. That was the but, gag in the first one. In fact, yeah, he's yeah, so no, good in this. That there's, one, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a sequence in which they literally hold the camera on his face as he's peeing, and it's one of the funniest <laughs> things you'll see in a movie that year. Just the things he comes out with, because there's got to be so much ad-libbing uh, in this between Kevin Hart and Jack Black. You know there's a lot of ad-libbing. It's so funny. It's so funny. I mean, they've just the writers have got the, 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 the slapstick humour just spot on. It's crude, it can be rude, it's just, it's fantastic, it's good fun. I think it's a brilliant reinvention. I don't think the sequel's quite as good. I mean, the sequel's fine, but I don't think it's as good. Uh, I think uh, it's, it's a brilliant change of pace for Dwayne Johnson as well, who seems mm. to work better in movies, I think, when he's sending up his own image, when he's sort of yeah. playing on the fact that he is a muscle-bound, you know, mountain of a man. <laughs> what is it they call him in Hobbs and Shaw? But they call him uh, Mountain oh. Mountain of a man, I think they call him. Something but, like that. Uh, but he works yeah, really well with Kevin Hart as well. Him and Kevin Hart are they're a perfect comedy duo. They really are. And then they followed this up, I think, with Central Intelligence before they then went on to do uh, Jumanji The Next Level because for yeah. some reason every Jumanji sequel has to have its title taken from an alternative <laughs> title for another movie. Can't figure that one out. But uh, worth checking out. Definitely one to watch for the whole family as well. Less so than our other pick on Amazon Prime that day, which is, of course, Bombshell. The uh, the story of the, uh, the effectively early Me Too scandal at Fox News, starring Charlize Theron, Nicole Kibben, and Margot Robbie. We saw this together, you and I, didn't we, at the, uh, the yes. multimedia screening last last year, I think? Yeah, last year. Yeah, we did. I mean, uh, the Charlie Theron in this is just like, I didn't even know it was her. She was completely <laughs> That's it. Everyone says that. They didn't recognise, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that was probably the only interesting part about the whole film. I wanted a bit Did more Did you not enjoy the it. film otherwise? No, I they needed more depth to it. I just don't think they touched on that st- that Roger Earl story with any great research. 
I think the focus was more put on, on the women of the, of the story, in fact. I, I, I agree. But I think Adam McKay, who directed this, had directed The Big Short as well. I think this was intended to be his, his, his feminine counterpart, I think, to that movie. Whether it's as successful as The Big Short or not is up for debate, and people do have very varying answers on that. Uh, for me, I think it works just as well. I mean, I prefer The Big Short, but that's, I think, only because The Big Short is funnier as a film. It has yeah, no. more of a comedic centre than this one, definitely. I 100% that, agree with that. Yeah, I think so. But also, I think Bombshell kind of can't get away with pulling jokes, given how harrowing it gets at times. But, you know, you can make up your own mind uh, this coming Saturday, 5th of September, on Amazon Prime if you're a subscriber. And that's, uh, that closes out another week for us. Uh, how was your first time in the, in the big chair, Binzer? You enjoyed it? I've enjoyed it. I'm just worried about how much you talk. But, hey, <laughs> I'll get, next time I'll... I'll get some more words in. <laughs> I was, I was, I was making it easy for you. I'm trying to carry it. I'm trying to carry it. That's what it is. I'm trying, I'm trying to soften it for you. That's what it is. I, I told you I'd be gentle, but uh, well, I mean that's that's it for us then this week. So uh, we shall return next week. In the meanwhile, with more cinematic goodness for you, uh, stuff that's in cinemas if you want to brave it. But for the love of God, do not risk your life to see New Mutants. Like I say, <laughs> there will be a special section of the Darwin Awards for anyone who dies of the coronavirus seeing an aborted X Men finale. But in the meanwhile, Mulan is on Premier Access. Do check that out. We've got more fun to come next week. Hopefully, the babysitter will be amongst them. Uh, we will be talking about, well, hopefully, we'll be talking about Bill and Ted Face the Music. If they don't shunt the release date again, again. on us in the, in, the, in the following seven days, because it changes every other day, that one. Uh, but, but that's it from us. In the meantime, I've been Van Connor. And I've been Zara Phelan. And we'll be back 